0: Hi, I'm Natalie Dale. Thank you so much for joining us for the fifth episode of GDOT's Ahead of the Curve podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us again to learn more about the men and women of GDOT, what we do here, our projects, our priorities for you, including things like express lanes. So that's what today's episode is going to be about. We're going to take a short walk uh, down history lane to talk about how we got here, how express lanes became a thing in Georgia, how they became a thing really nationwide, but Georgia leading the charge uh, with a few other great states in this really innovative and cost-saving solution for congestion. Because of that, I have an excellent co-host joining me today, Kyle Collins, who's the communications program manager. Kyle, thanks for taking on the heavy lift with me today.
1: Yeah, for sure. This is a great one to be the co-pilot on.
0: And you tell, t- so tell our listeners, because I know everything about you from, uh, from your golf, being, being the amazing golfer you are, um, and your family, and, and you've been with us for a while, but you were a district communications officer and then slid into this role. So tell us about your time at GDOT and how you got here.
1: Right. Well, I'm starting my ninth year with the department. Um, Previously, I served on a district communications role, a little bit more grassroots, smaller level projects in East Central Georgia, where I'm from, actually Milledgeville. So got into this role working with great folks like Tim and Cleo, Um, big projects like Express Lanes, 285, 400. So been about a year into that endeavor. So it's been a big learning curve for me, but it's been fun to be a part of these massive jobs and communicate while we're doing them to the public.
0: I think it's important for our listeners to know that Kyle is the sole reason that we win the golf tournament at Sashto every year. So, so a round of applause for Kyle. Wonderful <laughs> for, for one. For for keeping us for keeping us uh ahead of ahead of the curve, ahead of the uh ahead of on the green. So, um joining us today is Tim Matthews, who's the State Express Lanes administrator, and I'll ask you the way I ask everyone else, not to be too philosophical, but In your life and in your career, what have you done to get you here at this table today?
2: Well, uh, it's been a long career so far, 21 years, uh, believe it or not, uh, all but one year here at GDOT. So it's been a pleasure to be a part of this uh, GDOT family, of course, and uh, to be a part of such great projects, important projects for for the state and the region as a whole. So how I got here? Working hard, I, I think is the, the best way to put it, and put myself in positions and put myself around great people like Cleo and my other staff, Xavier in the office here, and all the advisors that help us get these projects done, um, and, and be successful. You know, that's that's part of it. And I always look to, to my goals to set my vision for where I want to go in the future, and as long as I'm hitting those goals, then it gets me in the positions like these, these important positions that are delivering these important projects.
0: We see the benefits now today of of the congestion sees for express lanes for the projects that we've already delivered within this sort of managed lanes category Uh, but that wasn't always the case take us back to the 70s uh, and and really give us a, a small insight into how this all got started just the managed lanes system idea how did it get started in georgia
2: Sure. You mentioned the 1970s. Certainly, the idea uh, came started back in the 1970s with the uh, the notion of what what type of systems do we need to manage uh, congestion in our in our region, right? And uh, so, the state started looking at uh, and exploring GDOT, uh, looking and exploring um, Hov lanes, which was the prominent managed lane used back in the day. We've evolved uh, significantly since then, obviously to where we're at with express lanes, but. It all started with HOV, HOV being high-oxy vehicle lanes where you have to have at least a certain number of passengers in the car to qualify to get into that lane. Now, they're not told. You don't have to pay to get in HOV lanes, but that's where the start happened. So as we started to progress with HOV, the notion of is, is this the right solution, it really came to fruition in, in the 1990s uh, where we, uh, Atlanta, were about to get the Olympics in 1996. So GDOT implemented their first HOV pro, uh, projects and lanes in the metro region in 1994, I think. So that's when we first uh, brought HOV lanes. Now, a lot of those lanes were repurposed from existing GP lanes, uh, but that's the asset that we had, and that's the way to bring it forward in a quickly, very quickly uh, without having to go to a long, drawn-out process. So uh, that's how it started back in the 70s up to the 90s, getting HOV lanes, and then um, – Moving forward from there, as the region continued to grow and is continuing to grow in population and in job uh, growth, uh, we obviously have congestion still. So we're trying to find other solutions via managed lane uh, uh, vehicle to uh, help solve our most congested corridors in the in the metro region. So uh, and that that puts us toward bringing a type of managed lane system that we never thought about is you know through the managed lane system plan that was developed in the 2000s, and ultimately the managed lane implementation plan that brought alternative uh, uh, transportation modes to to the region, and those being express lanes and hot lanes. Hot was our first uh, uh, new lane here in Georgia outside of HOV. And,
0: and let's be honest, hot was not hot from <laughs> the beginning. And, and I think we have to acknowledge that, that the, sometimes there are growing pains to get, um, as this program has evolved, as the managed lane system has evolved, it hasn't... Not every step has been ideal, and so HOT had some some pretty strong critics when, when we were doing that
2: on 85. Absolutely it was. Uh, we got a lot of heat from that HOT lane, if you will, um, and, and it was a pilot project. Uh, FHWA said, hey, let's do a pilot project to test this alternative type of managed uh, lane and see if it would work in your region to solve that problem. But in doing so, being a pilot project, uh, we had to – look at it in a different way than our normal process of delivering projects. So in this case, we used the design-build strategy and we brought it forward quickly and using that method, but adding that lane on I- I-85 in this case, we had to take a lane away because if you added a new lane, that adds a lot more to the process right away, environmental, et cetera. So to get this project done quickly as a pilot, we took a lane away. Therefore it had to be hot. It couldn't be in a told express lane um, for everyone. So Again, being a hot lane, you can have at least three or more uh, passengers in the car and, and not have to pay that toll rate uh, otherwise. So, And we got a little heat because when you take lanes away, uh, people don't like that, right? So, uh, But we believe that it was a good pilot project. It's been successful. And it helped us bridge into a new arena with, reg- with regards to express lanes that so far, the the ones that we have opened and, and are operating have been very, very successful. So I think it was a good stepping stone to get us to where we are today in express lanes.
0: And the feedback, listening to the feedback of the community um, as that project sort of developed, the pilot project developed, got us to to where the board said, moving forward has to be a new lane.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, if you look back at I-285, which is the perimeter around Atlanta, it was built to, you know, get uh, cars around Atlanta and not not go downtown so it can help congestion downtown. But 52 or three years ago when it was built, it was two lanes in each direction or one lane in each direction, and now it's like six or seven in each direction, and we still have congestion, right? So the, the board recognized that we can't widen our way out of congestion, so they adopted a policy or a position anyway that says any new capacity in the metro region uh, is uh, on our interstates in the metro region are going to be managed in the form of express lanes or some other managed type of lane.
0: Let's take, for, for our listeners who maybe are not in the industry, let's take a second and clarify, let's do some terms, some terminology. We're going to dig into 101 managed lanes. GP is? General purpose. So that's that's lane you and I use every day if, if, we, if we don't have three or more people or we're not
2: in an express lane. So there's GP, there's HOT. Hot lanes is high occupancy toll lanes, that means they are tolled, but if you have a higher occupancy or or a certain number of passengers in the car, then you are exempt from that toll, having to pay that toll. And then we have express lanes. And then we have express lanes, which is our uh, ones that are open up, uh, we've opened up over the last several years that are, you have to pay to get in no matter how many people you have in the car, with a few exceptions, and that's with regards to transit. If your transit service provider can get into the lanes free, and emergency vehicles, obviously, and registered van pools. If you have an official registered van pool, then you don't have to pay to get into the express lanes as well.
0: You bring up a topic that I really want to address early, and so I want to introduce one of our other guests, which is Cleo James. She is the Express Lanes Program Manager. So, welcome. Hello. We're we're gonna we're gonna learn more about you in a second, but, but I have a big question to ask you, so I'm gonna bring you in on a hot question. Let's let's address the elephant in the room. Number one question we get asked. Why are you building more lanes? Why isn't there a transit option? We talked about transit. Why isn't there a transit option? Let let's address that now, Tim and Cleo. Let's talk about how what the realities surrounding congestion are, new lanes, managed new lanes and and the transit option that is a part of them. I want to hear y'all's opinion on that because I know we get asked a lot. Certainly, Kyle and I get that question from media or from the public, and I know as all the public interfacing that y'all do, which is huge, you get that a lot.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll start, and Cleo can jump in. I think we've all recognized, all being the nation really, looked at options to solve congestion, and transit is a big component to that and can be a big component to it, but it's very, very, very expensive. As compared to uh, a managed lane, for example. Uh, so, and that's just been proven over time. Uh, can it be done? Certainly. But what does it take to get it done? It takes a lot of money. It takes right away, just like anything else, uh, that, like a roadway. Uh, it takes, um, uh, you know, environmental clearance and, and et cetera. So, and then you have to figure out how to can make that connection to either an existing system. Or what do you want to connect it to if you don't have an existing system? So those are all the variables that go into that, including many others. But as we've gone through time, we found that maybe there's other ways to bring transit forward, utilizing what we are bringing forward with regards to express lanes. So Georgia's solution is to build express lanes and knowing that transit vehicles are allowed in the system for free. Let's figure out how to expand on that. And what we're doing on Georgia 400 and ultimately on I 285 is a revelation that we found is the right solution, at least an alternative to another alternative to regular rail transit, if you will. And that's bus rapid transit, Uh, you know, BRT is what we call it in short. So we're going to implement BRT or bus rapid transit in the form of express lane transit. Our our commissioner, Russell McMurray, has dubbed express lane transit is the right uh, name for that because. It's buses using express lanes getting reliable trip times along the corridor, and then also developing stations along the way to give you a feel, a look and feel just like a, a train station, or inline train stations, uh, so you can get reliable trip times, get positions where you can get on and off the off the vehicles, and feel just like you're on a train without having to pay all that money to build a new facility that is just is way too much for us to afford right now. So.
0: You you say way too much. I want people to
2: understand
0: because when you when you put the numbers to it, it it's eye opening to me that the number of a mile of rail line versus what we are doing here with an express option. Can you give us sort of a ballpark?
2: Um, I would say as compared to, and now costs are up no matter what right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know all road no matter what it is roads and bridges and and any type of uh, transportation facilities high. In cost as well as your coffee, for that matter. Um, But right now, I would probably guess that for just as a comparison to roadways, your roadway per mile is probably in the five to seven million dollar per mile cost, uh, give or take. Probably up and down. It used to be. I remember when I first started 20 years ago. It was about a million dollars a mile. So you can see the difference from when I first started. And
0: right, right. We we will not let. We will not hold Tim to exact dollar figures here, but just in general, the difference?
2: As compared to rail, uh, you're probably in, in the tune of, um, it's in the hundreds of millions, uh, as compared to several million per mile of facilities that we're building versus uh, what it would cost to bring a true heavy rail type of uh, transit facility to Georgia. So that's that's the difference.
0: And while we're not We are not the heavy rail entity, and that would be MARTA or a different agency. It's important to know we're not anti-transit, but we have to look at transit within the realm of how we deliver transit, which is this very innovative, uh, very forward-thinking BRT. Um, So where did that idea come from?
2: Well, it was really a, a partnership effort with MARTA and the counties here in Georgia when Fulton County uh, was looking at how do we extend transit, extend MARTA for that matter, further north, right? It stops at the perimeter and maybe just north of the perimeter on 400 today. So they were looking to how can, how can we continue it up 400? So between MARTA and the county, they started looking at their transit plan for the future and looked at several alternatives. One was extending heavy rail which is MARTA going north on, on rail. And the other was looking at a fixed guideway adjacent to 400, State Route 400. And the other was just putting buses in um, in express lanes on 400. And out of that study, they all agreed, because of the cost I just talked about, that this, maybe the right solution is bus rapid transit using express lanes. And that was what was adopted uh, out of that study. And that's what we worked in partnership with the county, worked in partnership with MARTA uh, to bring that solution and have now been able to incorporate that idea into our express lane project, which we're currently in procurement on. I can't give a lot of details on it, but we're in procurement on that project today.
3: So I was also going to add, I think that's one of the wins for the region and one of the things that Georgia DOT does best with the innovation and collaboration. I think previously, the thought was either or, and then with the utilization of the express lanes with transit, that combined both. So we were thinking differently and how, how we can utilize both systems to work. And by utilize, incorporating transit into the express lanes was an example of a win and being partners with uh, our transit Team and um, counties to come up with a solution that has the least impact on the environment, least capital intensive, and achieves the goal that we all wanted in being able to reduce congestion and move more users through the system.
1: And it seems like it makes those dollars go that much further to be able to meet the multimodal needs as well as the collaboration that y'all talked about, too. I don't think folks understand just how deeply we work with these local agencies the state agencies marta and the like to um, execute these goals
0: so we're talking with tim matthews and cleo james with the office of express lanes and cleo we have not gotten to know you better yet and i promised we would it's a it's a priority of mine to make sure that people understand that it's not just uh engineers who sit down and get there there are people we are people who love georgia love advancing transportation in georgia so how How, not to get too philosophical, but how in your life and in your career did you end up at this table today?
3: Like Kyle, I worked in the private sector previously to joining GDOT. And when I started with the department, I started in the Office of Program Delivery. I worked as a project manager in various districts, and I eventually became the District One Program Manager. And it's a great role. teaches us a lot about traditional dot and how it works with capital projects and maintenance but then tim matthews extended the opportunity to me to work in the office of express lanes with a new and innovative delivery method and i was excited about that opportunity and i accepted and it is it is different in a lot of ways from our traditional design bill bit projects It challenges our way of thinking about how we deliver these type of projects. And with the model that we're using, it helps us to see where the risk is best managed and where we get the largest gains for our investment. So I've been with the Georgia DOT for about eight years, relatively new compared to Tim. But nonetheless, in the time that I've been here, I've learned so much about – the DOT, the challenges of the state, and now um, some of the largest challenges of the metro region.
0: So from program delivery to express lanes, you have done the typical GDOT planning process, and now the innovative planning process. Tell our listeners, explain the difference, because some people, while they're, we have a lot of industry listeners, hopefully we're, we're now branching out to people who just want to learn more, and they may not understand the difference in how projects are planned, whether innovative or whether that just black and white, GDOT uh, planning process. So tell us, can you explain the difference?
3: Well, I think with the initiation of projects, it's pretty much the same. I think when we look at the best way to deliver the projects is where some of the largest differences um, come in. In the design, build, bid world, we, we are built to deliver those type of projects. We have many offices that review the plans, um, whether we design it in-house or select a consultant. Um, We take the plans from the initiation process to final plans and led it to construction. We have, we believe, uh, eliminated the most risks to the project and then the contractor is selected to build the project. But on the alternative and innovative side, we bring in the developers and contracting firms earlier in the process to leverage their experience and their knowledge and and add that contribution earlier. We also have um, additional financing methods which um, are very complex and require um, additional management and oversight to make all of those pieces work. And we also see that during the, it's a, also a collaborative process during the construction process as well. And those are some of the larger differences that I can see between the traditional um, design bill bid and the alternative and innovative delivery methods.
1: And Cleo, just to compare, you talked about your traditional experience in the Northeast district with program delivery, GDOT taking it all the way to 100% full design. Now on the innovative side, how much are we really designing before we hand off to our partner?
3: We usually will design till till about 30%, and at that point, we've we have developed a footprint and we have enough information that we can inform the contracting agents, the contracting firm, to. Um, take the projects and enter into the final design phase and construction. So, it's still a lot of information we collect in prior to um, letting the projects at the thirty percent plans. Um, but that's generally the the point where we we let the project to a, a firm that we choose to develop the final plans and and construct the project.
0: And give us an idea of of one or two of those potential benefits for handing over that design process at an earlier stage?
2: It's innovation, uh, and that's the purpose of, really one, not purpose, but one of the main reasons we do design build is to, to try to get as much innovation out of the process as possible. Uh, and Cleo's right, we do about 30% plan development, but also enough to do environmental clearance because we can't get a contract contractor out there doing anything until we have an environmental clearance, right? But the process isn't done, to Cleo's point. We get the uh, environmental done, we do a procurement, we get hire that uh, contractor, but then they do final design. And then through final design process, they take it from 30 to 100%, bringing in potential uh, value propositions. Value could mean less money, it would cost less money. Value can mean a better idea, a, a different idea, to help you know mitigate something, uh, whatever that is. So you get a lot of value in a design build process that you don't normally otherwise may get because you go through full design and you just let it and they build it and you're done, right? So this offers up a lot of opportunity for that innovation in the final design process by the developer in coordination and collaboration with uh, GDOT, and then ultimately that developer will build the project based on what what the final plan is at the end of the day.
0: Thanks, Tim. Y'all don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. 94%
4: of Americans acknowledge that text messaging while driving is dangerous and yet many people still do it. In fact, text messaging is considered the most dangerous type of distracted driving. Any kind of distracted driving endangers the driver and also their passengers, pedestrians, and others using the road. The hands-free Georgia law prohibits drivers from writing or sending texts, reading messages, posting on social media, and other forms of mobile device usage while driving. Let's end this dangerous habit before it ends you and others. Know the rules of the road to keep yourself and other drivers safe. Learn more at gahighwaysafety.org. Remember, don't reply, stay alive. This is a message from the Georgia Department of Transportation.
0: Welcome back. This is Natalie Dale with Georgia DOT, and you are listening to Ahead of the Curve. So there's innovation in design and build, but there's also innovation in finance. And and so I want to, we're going to step back real quick to the timeline. So in the 70s, we went through HOV, we went through HOT. Uh, we had uh, some, the reversible managed lane system that we, that are, part of our system now the wild what i consider to be because it's up in where i live so i'm i'll, I'll take a point of personal privilege here the wildly successful northwest corridor express lanes um you know i everyone i know that uses those just talks about how much it changed their life not just people who use them but the people in the gp remember our terms general purpose lanes um benefits for them as well so that's kind of where we're at so where. We're, we're, we're on the horizon of the next phase after reversible managed lane system. Where are we now?
2: We're, we're moving forward with uh, bringing more express lanes to the region, and as we you said, Northwest Corridor, Corridor is widely successful. I, I live in that area as well, and I use that first mile, pay my 70 cents, and I don't really need to, but it do because it's, it's easy, right? So. But it does also help the general purpose lanes, the GP lanes you talked about. By getting vehicles out of those lanes, you're still freeing up capacity in the general purpose lanes. So it's a win-win, you know, for everyone. But on your most congested time of the day, you have that choice. You can stay in what would be or maybe a congested GP lane, or you can move over into the express lanes to get that benefit. And through that success you've talked about and what I've talked about in the past as well is how it made us realize that we've made the right Decision with regards to what the solution is for our most congested corridors and that's a managed lane And I, and what we're bringing forward is express lanes, in that regard. So we've got a whole future ahead of us um, We've got a lot of big projects planned uh, right now as I said earlier. We're working on state route 400 Express lanes uh, two lanes in each direction from the North Springs Marta station all the way up to McGinnis Ferry And then one lane in each direction from there up to m- north of McFarland Our projects in procurement can't talk a lot about it because we are in procurement, but uh, it's going great so far. Got a lot of participation from the industry. Done a lot of uh, got a lot of reaction and feedback from the industry to help us make decisions. And to Cleo's point earlier, to help us understand where those risk elements are and who's best to manage that risk. That's a part of these this uh, design build process as well. Creating that partnership, these long term partnerships that the projects we're bringing forward on two eighty five four and four hundred are design, build, not just design, build, but they're design, build, finance, operate, and maintain. And what does that mean? We call it DBFOM for short, but that means a private developer comes in, they design the project, do the final design, as I talked about, they finance the project as a whole, bring all the money to the table, they build the project, and then they operate and maintain the project over a term. Typically, 30 to 50 years, we've, uh, we're going with a 50-year term because we think that's the best return on investment for this type of project. So that's what's on the horizon. That's what's underway. Um, and these are big projects. These are you know, billions of dollars of projects. And uh, we believe it's the right solution, as I said. And we've proven so on the ones that we've built so far.
0: So you talked about the evolution and innovation in, in design and delivery. And then you just touched on it. I want to dive deeper into that finance aspect of innovation because it it really does show we have our finger on the pulse. We look at what other states are doing, what works and wasn't what doesn't work in other states. Um, or we're not afraid to try new things, um, to be the state that's sort of on the cutting edge. Uh, and and of all 50 states, every time we go to these conferences, people say Georgia is on the cutting edge. They really are making best use of the tools and the industry and the system. And finance is a new one. Finance is a new thing um, that is going to bring a lot of benefits to the projects, to the taxpayers. So th- tell our listeners about how that helps these projects and why that is um, are really going to knock it out of the park as, where, as far as finance goes.
2: Well, you know, we we don't have all the money in the bank, right? Uh, and we're not able to leverage the ability to get all the money in the bank uh, day one. So if, it, if we were to build these projects with that in mind, it would take years and years and years to build small segments of these projects that really don't make sense until they're all, all built, right? So that's what we're trying to do is get that full solution done earlier. And the way to do that when you don't have all the money in the bank is to leverage the private sector as far as financing is concerned. There's a lot of money out there that, that is used to invest in projects like these. Uh, so they can get their return on their investment, but also so we can get our return on that investment as well, and that's getting that project built open to traffic and getting our users that benefit that they're looking for, and, we, and we're promising them. So that's really why the, the finance piece is such a such an important piece. Um, now, they want to get their money back, right? They've got to pay themselves back and, and ultimately make something off this investment, and that's why we're using this DBFOM model, revenue risk model, if you will, that puts the risk on a developer to collect, the revenue on the roadway for that term, 50-year term, to pay themselves back and, and hopefully make some sort of profit on that. If they don't, if they make the money, they may not pay themselves back. Or if they make just enough to pay the project off, they may not make profit. But that's why it's called a revenue risk. They're taking that risk. But they believe it's a great, a, a good option for them because they believe over that long term, the chances of them making their money back at the very least and profit is pretty high. So, but... What does the department get? What does the state get? We get the road. We get the the users on the road, and it's open to traffic. And
0: we get, in some cases, more road. And a lot of- 285, for example, the project has evolved since the initial project because of how we can deliver more under this model.
2: That's right. Uh, Our previous model that we were using before we shifted to a revenue risk deal was an availability payment model. That's where we financed the project over a shorter-term period but we, the department, paid all that money over that shorter term. We didn't get any private sector financing, if you will. So we could only build what we could afford over that short period, right? So usually about a six, seven year to eight year period of payback. Um, or sometimes longer. Sometimes we'd go out longer, like a house payment. You buy a house, get the, get the money, pay it by the house, and you pay it back over a 30 year mortgage period. That's how we treated the projects before, but we were only able to afford certain amounts. So we could only do one express lane on 285 on the east and west, for example. It had to be buffer separated, not barrier. Uh, but with this new model, bringing the, leveraging the, the private sector from financing perspective, we're able to get two lanes in each direction now, and we're able to go all the way down the I-20 on the east and west side um, and barrier separated. So those, those are immediate benefits out of the gate. But we also have the potential to have uh, a benefit that we don't have to put hardly any money on the table for these projects. Maybe we have to put some. It depends on the project, depends on the deal, but sometimes we may not have to pay anything. So that's a, another return that, that the private sector brings to the table.
0: And the long-term benefit, maintenance.
3: Yeah, this that's is what I was going to say. Clear talk about maintenance. I, In addition to reducing the public funding, that those funds can potentially be reallocated to other projects. So working in, a, in the design build bid world where there are a thousand projects in that program. Being able to fund these projects is, is is something that has to be managed, but when we reduce our public funding, that money can be utilized elsewhere. And then also maintenance, the maintenance of the asset, that's, I believe that's where we spend most of our, our money at the DOT is on maintenance. And so with this model, we have the potential to transfer the maintenance of that asset also to uh, free up funds that could be also utilized in our, our traditional program, for our tr- traditional program needs. So it's real money we're talking. It's not, it's not um, monopoly money. It's money that if, if as the cost increase, some other project that may be a, a priority for an area may get shifted out.
0: Because if you, if you build a house, once your mortgage is paid, you're not off the hook, you have, you have a new roof. You've got to paint, you've got you know, what all the things that you have to do, and, and that's the same thing. We're not immune to that. When we finish a project, when we open 285-400, we'll start the maintenance phase of it You know, within the next few years because of the wear and tear that we have on our roads. And so, maintenance is a huge cost to the department, and under this innovative finance model, it's, it's really a benefit to the taxpayers of Georgia. Talk Cleo, talk about industry partners. Talk about the partnerships that go along with the Office of Express so,
3: There are times, and maybe I shouldn't say this, that it, about it, it about that it feels that I'm not even really working with a department because I'm working with so many industry partners. Um, it's we leverage the experience and the knowledge of our consultant partners in the industry. And so th- it's a large, a large amount of people that work in this industry that I've I've found that specialize specifically in managed lanes. And so we have tapped into that knowledge base of other states that have delivered express lanes. We have um, taken some of their learnings and we're reapplying it into our program. We've also leveraged um, other colleges that also have um, a knowledge base about managed lanes that we um, utilize to give us that institutional knowledge. Um, we have a design. We have design teams that work on these projects. Contracting teams, the developer teams. It's we're really in an international market that um, is delivering these type of projects. The, the teams are all over the world, and that that was eye opening to me to to be able to see that. Other countries have been doing this model um, years before us, but now we recognize the benefits and we are applying it here.
0: Do you think there's a misconception that GDOT creates these ideas, these programs, these projects in, in a silo, and that we don't info share with, with the industry or with other states? Do you, th- do you think that some of the misconception or some of the misunderstanding comes that, that people don't understand – how many brains go into a project like this or a program like this?
3: Yeah, I think, well, it's only a handful of states that is that has express lanes and we're, we're one of them. So we, because, because it's not prevalent in, in the United States, we really had to reach out and um, collaborate with others that had implemented express lanes and we're successful at delivering them. We have national level um, colleagues and, and partners that practic- practitioners that inform us and keep a pulse on the industry and where the trends are going. And we have highly experienced consultants that assist us in, in knowing what's right for our region. and. We, we don't just take what another state has done and, and reapply it. We customize it to where our needs are. And I think you have to, you have to be able to reach outside of, of your normal ways of getting information and doing things and, and reach out at that national or international level to be successful.
1: And Cleo, who are some of the states that we have collaborated with to inform our program?
3: We've collaborated with Florida Virginia, Colorado, Maryland, Texas. Did I get them all,
2: too? Great job you did, and and you made a great point. There's only a handful of states in the U.S. that have ventured down this road of express lanes and or some sort of uh, revenue risk-type model, these DBFOM or DBF-type projects. And, and Georgia is one of those. Uh, and as you said earlier, we're really, at least we've heard anyway, we're really leading the way when it comes to bringing the right size approach to these type of uh, procurements or this type of um, process. And, you know, design bill's been around for a long time and this market, albeit small, has gone through a lot of ups and downs over the past, you know, 10 to 15 or more years to the point where it became very, it become less in- interesting for folks to want to participate. And you mentioned Clio international firms. and. and Yes, there's a lot of international firms that have been doing this stuff for a long, long time because their rules are different overseas and as compared to the U.S., and it allowed them to do that, but, uh, but we are, we're trying to leverage that. What's been done in the past, that financing we talked about earlier, you know, leveraging the private financing, that equity that's out there, and we're trying to bring that solution that's bringing those folks back to the table where they were trying to maybe walk away from it in the past because the risks were too high. Uh, GDOT's looked at risk at a very high level and looked at risk at a very minute level and have determined that it's best to put risk where it's best managed versus just shoving it all across the table. Uh, I did say revenue risk earlier, right? That's important. Uh, and it is up to the developer to take that risk to get their money back, but if we can't get them here to the table to build the project and, and finance the project, then we a lose lose for everyone. So we're trying to balance that risk profile for, for the project in the short term to get it built, and then also in the long term so that we get them at the table to build these projects for us.
0: Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. We want you to stay ahead of the group.
3: Hey, rural Georgia. Do you know about our CHAMP program? The Coordinated Highway Assistance and Maintenance Program, or CHAMPS, Patrol interstates outside of Metro Atlanta and respond to traffic-related incidents in the area. CHAMPS also assist stranded motorists with flat tires, dead batteries, or in need of fuel or coolant. So if you find yourself in need of assistance on an interstate outside of Metro Atlanta, dial 511 on your phone to request CHAMP motorist assistance.
4: This is a message from the Georgia Department of Transportation.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to G-Dots Ahead of the Curve. Kyle, you're on the hot seat now. Right. So, so much new. Whether it's the delivery model, whether it's the finance model, that that is a that brings for you a new challenge of communicating these projects to every Georgian because these are mega projects that move massive. You know, it it will help to move freight in the long run because we're freeing up general purpose lane space. It it helps to move everyone who is on our system. Everyone using the GDOT system is gonna benefit from these projects, from the Express Lanes project in one way or another, whether they're using them or not. But it is new and, and there's a lot of innovation and newness. So in that sort of next phase of innovation and information, what are your challenges in communicating that to the general public?
1: I think it is a a large challenge, and like Cleo said earlier, a lot of what informs their side of the program, we have a large consultant team that's there, has a lot of expertise to help us develop that communication that we're talking about that we need to get to the end user, but everybody seems to have a hot take on congestion. Everybody's a traffic engineer behind the wheel. I learned that early when I joined the department in 2015, so I take it as a challenge, a a fun challenge, because at the end of the day, we really want to communicate the basics to the public you know um, as far as the delivery model that gets us to that point but we want to explain how it's going to benefit them Um, we hear all the chatter on social media we get the feedback we get the calls we get the emails so we just want to make sure we remain transparent but get the right information to those affected.
0: A roundabout in Dublin it's probably pretty easy to identify who you need to communicate to and when you need to communicate to them. But again, these projects affect everyone in the state, not just sort of the, the general vicinity of who touches or lives near, but, but they're also very important. How do you identify who needs to know, What what is the stakeholder, how do you build a stakeholder list? How do you sort of know who to reach out to when it's, it's kind of everyone?
1: Right, and as goes Metro Atlanta and these projects we're talking about on 400 and 285, I mean, that affects an entire region not just the state of Georgia. When we talk about especially the freight traffic that we have coming up from the Port of Savannah and as goes Atlanta, goes the region, like we said. Um, we have a great established list from the large projects that we have implemented before. I know Tim and Cleo have been busy with outreach. Tim went on a road show a few years ago talking about this entire express lanes concept, speaking to local agencies all the way down. I'm sure he hit up some rotary clubs too in that mix. So making sure we get... Um, a good gamut of the community is definitely important.
0: Tim, between you and Cleo, how many HOA rotary groups have y'all probably spoken with in the last several years?
2: Oh my gee, Oh my goodness! Uh, hundreds, hundreds. Um, yeah, as you said, Cal. And, and first of all, I want to appreciate you guys, Cal and Natalie, and the communication staff, and our and our advisors, and and everyone who helps us, because we can go out there and talk about these projects, but without communication and the right communication, uh, it's difficult to get our point across. And you may not even then, right? You may not get your point across or you may not convince everyone that it's the right solution because at the end of the day, these folks may be impacted, maybe directly, maybe indirectly, and that's, that's tough. Uh, so all you can do is listen, try to educate and inform um, and try to reach as many people as you can. And you know, for better or worse, the pandemic almost has helped us in a lot of ways to communicate because we're doing a lot more, not just in person, but virtually. And you're reaching a lot more people, which helps. Uh, but at the end of the day, what do folks want to see? They want to see results. And that helps proves that prove that you're making the right decisions. And it makes that discussion easier when you go back to them. Hey, we're going to bring another Express Lane project. Look at what's happening over there. It, it's working great. Have you experienced it? And most of them would say, yes, it's awesome. I love it. I get what I, the choice. I can make the choice to get in, and I can get the results that I'm looking for, get home to my family, get home to my kid's soccer game, et cetera, et cetera. So I think showing those results, helping that communication moving forward, because we've we've proven that it's the right solution. And, uh, again, just reach as many people as you can and help them understand that what it's going to do for them personally and or the region as a whole.
1: And I think uh, Tim pretty much said it there. It comes to that personal touch with communication because we've all been – Drivers, too, will be drivers when we leave today. We have those same frustrations as the general public. Um, Making their A to B better day-to-day is really what we're trying to accomplish, so communicating that is definitely our goal.
0: Well, I will take a point to say, Kyle, you probably have the – the the best way of, of communicating with the G public of anyone I've ever worked with uh, so if y'all if y'all have not communicated on Facebook with Kyle about projects to come or projects you have an issue with jump in there because he is he's Kyle you're really good um, at, at talking to to the Georgians who have questions about these projects so uh, I know we are in good hands communicating uh, these mega projects uh, with Kyle at the lead of communication so uh just I, I get to say that. Seb. So.
3: well, I echo that because I had a meeting with a stakeholder yesterday, and they gave um, a shout out to the communications team on the Transform 285 project, and and they said there were few surprises. That's always good, um, but they said the GDOT communications team does an excellent job of keeping them informed. So that's that came unsolicited from a stakeholder
1: that's awesome to hear and we just want to make sure that you have the information because it may be information folks don't really want to hear but as long as they have it at the end of the day they're going to think better about gdot and the personnel that we have here and these men and women are working hard grinding every day to execute these projects specifically when they get to construction so um, that's nice to hear
0: so what's next What's, we have we have the mic to communicate now. What's next? Uh, let's talk about what's happening in 2023. Uh, SR 400 Phase One.
2: Well, um, as we said earlier, we've shifted our, our uh, express things to a revenue risk model DBFOM, but they were started as an AP model, um, and we've got a lot of things out of that previous uh, work. And and doing so, State Route 400 already has an environmental document approved and. Um, was pretty much ready to go to procurement. So we brought forward State Route 400 last year, summer of last year, put it out for procurement, shortlisted uh, the, to the teams that we have today participating and expect to uh, finish this procurement later this year, by the end of this year. And finish, what I mean by finish is selecting that developer. Uh, we, we anticipate getting three great proposals uh, on this project and we'll have to pick one, uh, whoever that best value proposal is. And, and when we select them, then we'll be off to the races as far as the whole project is concerned. But we did receive an infra grant from the federal government uh, on 400 a couple years ago in in the amount of about $184 million. So in order to satisfy the requirements of that infra grant, we had to bring a portion or what we could on 400 forward earlier. So we took what we call a phase one approach to State Route 400, brought some elements out of that project, and got that to procurement early and got a developer or a construct contractor on board to build several pieces or several bridges on that project to satisfy that, um, that infra grant requirement. So, in effect, we already have State Route 400 under construction, at least some pieces and parts. But the ultimate goal with the express lanes as a whole is under procurement right now. And, again, with a selection toward the end of this year with construction uh, starting in the next year, uh, next year, 2024, is is the goal. So, That's what's happening today. At the same time, Cleo and and, and Xavier, our team, is working hard on 285. We haven't talked much about that other than the the east and west side. We're heavy in the environmental document uh, process right now, uh, getting that draft over to FHWA for approval. Once that's approved um, and we start winding down on 400, we're going to ramp up on the procurement for 285, which is the biggest project we've ever tried to deliver in the state of Georgia, and it's probably one of the largest ones in the nation, to be honest with you, uh, from a dollar perspective. So, it's a big lift, a lot of challenges, but we've learned a lot of lessons on 400, uh, as, as it relates to risk, as it relates to procurement, how do we structure these these contracts the right way? As I talked about earlier, we take those lessons learned and bring 285 forward into that procurement phase and ultimately in the construction phase to bring these uh, projects forward so the folks can get that benefit uh, as early as possible.
0: Cleo, what can people expect as far as the public involvement phase of 285? What's, what's next for the public? Where? How, do, how can they be engaged? How do they need to be engaged?
3: So we are anticipating the draft EIS being available um, or submitted to FHWA by summer of this year, 2023. And it will be available for public comment towards the end of of the calendar year. And so at that time, the public will be able to provide input um, on the project that we will respond to and and where where we can incorporate that feedback. Um, As Tim mentioned, the 285 Express Lanes will be built into phases. And so the first phase of the project is we're looking to start that procurement soon, early next year. And um, we will build the express lanes to I-20 east and west in phases. So throughout that that process of clearing the environmental, the public will have the opportunity to um, provide feedback. And additionally, we meet with stakeholders and, and um, special groups as needed to inform them about the project and impacts and and ways that we can partner with them.
1: And we have a great communications tool now via our virtual meeting room format that will be um, utilized for the top end 285 stuff. So just what Cleo was talking about there at the end of the year, we'll have a virtual component for the public to engage with us.
2: Yeah. And you know, we talked about 400. We talked about uh, transit and express lane transit We're not done on 400. We're also bringing that on 285 as well. And uh, last year, what we call an historic event, we, in addition to ARC, in addition to Gwinnett Cobb and Fulton County and all the mayors across the top end from Smyrna to Tucker, came together and signed a memorandum of understanding that we all agree that bringing express lane transit or BRT on 285, utilizing the express lanes that we're gonna build Is the right approach for uh, bringing an alternative mode of transit or transportation on these corridors and our commissioners Russell McMurray said it best we we really foresee these projects as a true multimodal type of facility not just cars not just um, buses but also pedestrian friendly and not no one's gonna walk on the interstate that's not allowed right but what I mean by that is connecting communities Uh, within our corridor we're trying to find ways to connect communities connect cities by we have trails underneath the, the the express lanes or underneath the uh, the corridors. So wherever we can make that connection between communities, that that's what we believe is is another way to bring a, a multimodal type of approach to these projects. So it's um it's a it's a great it's a great project to be a part of, a great program, a great office to be a part of, and uh, I'm excited and have been excited. I'm still excited and, and looking forward to what what more to come.
0: And the communities that that sort of
2: create the
0: top end of 285, they're, they're dynamic. While they, you know, for someone who isn't from Georgia or may not be familiar with Metro Atlanta, it may seem like a small space, but those communities are very dynamic and they have their own needs in their own way. And so to get everyone to sign on to that memorandum of understanding, that is historic because it's, it's getting everyone to agree to a common goal who have different needs and have different constituencies. So congratulations on that. Well, again, we just want to thank our guests today.
2: Tim, Kyle, Cleo, thanks for being here. Thank you, Natalie and, uh, and Kyle for having us. And Cleo, thanks for being here as well. And hopefully uh, everyone learned a lot about what we're doing in Express Lines.
1: Definitely excited uh, to be a part of this innovative program. and look forward to being in front of the public later this year.
3: I echo what Kyle is saying. Thanks, everyone, for your time. Looking forward to seeing you at future stakeholder and public meetings.
0: If you have any more questions or want to learn about the Georgia Express Lanes, visit our website, dot.ga.gov. Follow the links to Express Lane section to learn more about these innovative projects that are going to change our landscape and move congestion throughout Georgia. Join us next month as we look at GDOT's programs and a unique partnership designed to help improve driver safety on Georgia roads. That's next on Ahead of the Curve.